the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD, news from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, as a podcast, just go to Apple uh, Apple Podcast and uh, search your financial editor. And uh, you can find uh, this program as well as any of our recent programs. Last week, uh, Dr. Ben Carson was on. Um, prior to that, we had uh, Greg Zucker, Zuckerman from the Wall Street Journal, uh, and on and on. So a lot of really good conversations, excellent topics, and, of course, getting the uh, the facts out and uh, helping people be informed and educated. Just like today, another really good program teed up for you. Uh, my guest, Mr. Hans von Spakowski, is joining me. He is a senior legal fellow and manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative at the Heritage Foundation. He's been involved in the election process for three decades. He served on a presidential advisory commission on election integrity, and he was a former commissioner on the Federal Election Commission, as well as uh, working at the uh, Department of Justice enforcing uh, voting rights laws and, 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 and things of that nature. So, you know, one of the things we always have to re- uh, um, take into consideration is the importance of honest elections uh, because they really have serious impacts and repercussions. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Hans and another gentleman named John Fund have written an excellent book called Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. And we'll be talking about that uh, and how you can get it. Good morning, Hans. Chris, uh, good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. And I'm sure people recognize the name and they've seen you on uh, on uh, news uh, cast on TV and, and read your stuff. And we're friends with the Heritage Foundation and all the great work that's done over there. So it's great to have you on. And um, I guess I'll just start. You know, this is something that kind of seemed to be swept under the rug last year there was a lot of concern about uh the irregularities when it came to voting just give us your overall thought before we get into the weeds a little bit about what happened during the 2020 elections well that's part of what this book is about although we also talk about the long-term problems and trends in this area look what happened last year unfortunately was that uh Folks on the progressive left use COVID as a, an excuse and justification for making all these bad changes in the rules governing our elections that they've been trying to get in place for years. You know, they they use COVID as an excuse to, for example, say that states shouldn't be able to um, apply their voter ID laws, uh, that states shouldn't be able to um, enforce their requirement that on absentee ballots. Uh, you have to have a witness signature to, to verify that, you know, you, the voter, really fill it out. I mean, it's one thing after another like that. And uh, in essence, 
all of those rules they were trying to get changed and unfortunately successfully changed in many states are rules that were put in place to safeguard the integrity of the election process. To, for example, make sure that the person showing up to vote is really is really that person. And all of that uh, raised a lot of questions about the elections. Um, you know, similarly, remember, we had this big issue. Uh, again, I think this was unethical. I think it was a clear conflict of interest. Of, you know, you had Mark Zuckerberg uh, and several other liberal uh, donors who poured $450 million, not into Democratic campaigns, no, they short-circuited um, federal campaign finance laws by instead granting money to state and local election officials and agencies, supposedly to help them run the elections. But if you look at their distribution of the, the money, it overwhelmingly went to liberal, big, urban Democratic districts. In, in essence, what they did is they moved the get-out-the-vote campaign of the Democratic Party and Democratic candidates into official government offices using the resources of those government offices to turn out their vote. Like I said, highly to me unethical and a real conflict of interest. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And again, where a lot of the skepticism and doubt occurred just in those areas, like you said, that were funded by Zuckerberg and others, uh, after their fancy dinner meetings in private, and then we learned, like you said, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, went to those areas, Milwaukee, whatever, you know, different areas. So highly, highly suspect, um, if not just more so, like in my mind, for sure. So it takes me back. I go back to, okay, the the left and the progressives have wanted to change the Electoral College. It's been a, a just a, an area of pure frustration for them. They don't think that it's fair because, you know, obviously they don't win every time. So they start with the governors. Uh, I'm from Maryland, grew up in Maryland. So unfortunately, Martin O'Malley, I think, was the first goofball to sign on to this where they were going to try to do away with the Electoral College. I think they started realizing that wasn't going to happen. And what happens, though? The virus. And they have this perfect segue into do these uh, very damaging things yeah and they're and they're trying to make those changes permanent i mean that's why for example um there's been this huge fight in congress this year over uh, several election bills the most prominent of what is hr1 and we talk about this in the book hr1 you know was the very first bill that nancy pelosi introduced in the house that tells you how important democrats think it is H.R. Uh, 1 is this 900-page monstrosity of a bill that, in essence, would be a federal takeover of the administration of elections. In other words, uh, folks in Maryland would no longer uh, be establishing what the rules are for elections in Maryland. Instead, this federal legislation would do it. And it has all kinds of bad provisions in it. For example, it, it voids all state voter ID laws. No state would be allowed to ask anyone for an ID when they vote. Um, similarly, it uh, wipes out um, witness signature requirements on absentee ballots and says, no, you can't uh, require that. At the same time, <laughs> Chris, it 
require states to put in same-day voter registration. Now, think about what happens when you combine the fact that they're saying you have to allow somebody to walk into a polling place on Election Day, register, and immediately vote. Combine that with the fact that they say you can't ask them for an ID. That is an invitation to election fraud, and that bill is just filled with bad provisions like that. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, that was the, uh, you know, their baby right out of the gate when they realized that they might be able to make this happen. Uh, Unfortunately, people like you and others have shined a light on that. Now, let me ask you, um, how well have different state legislatures across the country done uh, so far in trying to fix a lot of the things that we saw go wrong in 2020? Uh, a number of states acted. Um, you, you know, the, the I know last year's election was frustrating for a lot of folks, and a lot of questions were raised, but one of the good things to come out of that election is it finally made a lot of state legislators realize, you know, we really do have problems, and we need to try to fix them. And so you saw at the beginning of this year states like Florida, Georgia, Texas, uh, even Arizona – passed significant um, election reform bills that improved their systems. Now, Chris, you, you know there was a lot of unfair criticism heaped on those states. Um, Georgia's bill was called Jim Crow II by Joe Biden. You know, Major League Baseball removed their, their all-star game from Georgia. But if you actually read the bills— the claims that were made against them were foolish. And I'll tell you, for example, two things that Georgia and Texas did, which are smart and aren't going to keep anybody from voting, is, look, both states uh, now for several years have had pretty good voter ID laws in place. But the problem with their voter ID laws were they only applied in-person voting. And so both states have changed the law to extend their voter ID requirement to absentee or mail-in ballots. And they still they make it very easy for folks to comply uh, with it. Nobody is going to be kept from voting. That is, nobody legitimate is going to be kept from voting. Um, and yet that's what they were criticized for, because they now say you, 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 you've got to uh, show some kind of form of ID when you vote, whether it's in person or by mail. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's just to most people, that's common sense, the whole thing. Well, there's not just a uh, Kinko's down the street for everybody, which, of course, was hilarious in its own light because Kinko's has been gone for decades. But anyway, uh, it just I mean, (laughs) I know when I go to vote, I pull my license out and I'm always told we don't need that. And just to satisfy myself, I always say, well, you should. You know, so that, you know, I'm the right person. That's me on the picture. This is a valid license, um, you know, or whatever the case might be. It just uh, it doesn't make sense that we don't uh, follow that that rule. The name of the book, folks, is Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Uh, it is written by my guest, Mr. Hans von Spassky, and also uh, John Fun. Uh, they're, they're co-authors in this. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll tell you uh, the easiest and best way to order this book. Very educational. Um, very, very. And, and something I'm going to share with you on this other side that really impressed me about this book. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also as a podcast, just go to uh, Apple Podcast and look up the Your Financial Editor program. And you'll get uh, the, the, the great talks that we have, just like today, talking with uh, Mr. Hans von Spassky. And, and uh, he wrote, uh, uh, co-wrote a great book. Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Um, Hans, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, you can order it off of both Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble. They've got it available. It actually came out um, uh, on Election Day this year, the one-year anniversary of last year's election, which we thought would be uh, kind of appropriate for that. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And congratulations. What a good book it is. And the reason I was making that comment before that quick break, folks, is that, you know, this is a very well-written, you can tell, very researched um, book. And I loved it when I got back to page 241, the notes, because every chapter has uh, notes and is sourced in multiple, multiple ways. Um, and that way, you know, you know that you can, if you're one of those uh, nerds that really likes to follow up and double cross check things, you can. So instead of all the nonsense flying around out there with these uh, pundits and they want to give their commentary uh, on elections and, and what they think is right or what they want you to believe is right, uh, this is a really good book that's full of uh, solid information that I think you would uh, benefit from. So, again, it's Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote, and, uh, and you know, go to Amazon or wherever you need to to find this book. It's, it's, it's really a good read. So, Hans, one of the thing that, things that was frustrating uh, to me and probably a lot of people is you had a lot of states out there, well, and even the Supreme Court, that wouldn't hear arguments on voter fraud allegations. Why do you think that was? Well, again, that is something we talk about in the book, but I got to tell you, I think it was pure political cowardice. And why do I say that? Um, well, because, uh, look, what, here's what should have happened. You know, you had litigation filed making claims after the election. You had affidavits submitted by voters and others who say they witnessed misbehavior. What should have happened is those cases should have gone to trial, and a, the, a judge should have examined the credibility of the evidence. You know, they then would have made decisions. The evidence was credible. It wasn't credible. And we would have had answers to all the questions everyone had. Instead, all of these judges and all of these cases, the judges dismissed them on procedural grounds. You know, they, they said, oh, folks didn't have standing or... Oh, you filed too late. And I think, frankly, it was political cowardice. I, these judges knew that these cases were a political hot potato, that if, in fact, they found this evidence to be credible and that there were problems in the election, the news media would descend on them. Uh, and I think any excuse they could use to get rid of the case Without getting to the substance of it, they they used. Bingo. I, I totally agree. I didn't want to ask that as a leading question. But, you know, we talk often on the program uh, about the virus and uh, the uh, the terrible damage it did, obviously, and the loss of life and the uh, illnesses, the uh, tearing apart of families because of jobs that were lost and 
the crazy amount of overdoses uh, and suicides, et cetera. But it was also, 2020 was also a year of burning and destruction and violence and looting. I mean, we watched it. We could see it for real, or actually people experienced it, of course, for real. Um, And I just, that cowardice, that's a very good word because that's kind of the way I looked at all of these people that dismissed um, valid concerns because they were afraid that, you know, either them and or where they lived was going to get torched. And um, it, it was really, really hard to watch. Oh, no, I, I agree. But then, look, I, I can understand why ordinary citizens would be worried about this um, because of the kind of not only the cancel culture we have today, the social media platform harassment and intimidation occurs. But, you know, think about what happened during COVID and last summer when you had violent protests. Um, engineered by BLM, Antifa, and others, cities uh, across the country, places like Portland. And law enforcement authorities did nothing about it. The prosecutions, the few that were uh, started when people were arrested, have almost all been dropped. Um, No one wanted to do anything about it, and so I think people were pretty scared uh, to to, to say anything about all the problems they've seen. Yeah, for sure. Rule of the mob, it's it's very uh, – I mean, we have to obviously stand up against that. We can't allow it. Um, And maybe there's some people wondering why we're talking about – you know, obviously we focus on business and finance and things of that nature. But look, folks, it's like I talk about with national security uh, and the problems down at the border – If we don't have national security, forget financial security, forget economic security. You've got to have security. And if we don't have security in our elections and have faith, look, there's been cheating from the very beginning and there'll be cheating to the very end. But it can't be in mass. It can't really be uh, something that is taken over, if you will, because then we'll, we will lose the country, and that's not an overstatement. So, Hans, thank you so much for, you know, the the great work that you've done in the past, the 30 years you've been covering elections, all the way up till uh, today when we talk about, you know, your new book, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Um, and we'll keep uh, track on all of the other work you're doing at the Heritage Foundation and hopefully be able to get you back on at a later date to give us an update on um, hopefully positive changes, not uh, more of these negative issues that, uh, you know, you address in your book. Sure. Well, I'm I, happy to do that and happy to come back anytime. Okay, Hans. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Uh, Again, folks, the name of the book is Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote by John Fund, F-U-N-D, and Hans von Spankowski. And I do a terrible job pronouncing that last name. I apologize. But it's S-P-A-K-O-V-S-K-Y. And um, you can also learn about Hans. Just go to the uh, heritage.org, uh, as uh, you do with many of the fine people that we've had on the program before, and you can read. I mean, he's writing material on this kind of stuff all the time. 
So it's it's very very current. But again, this is this book is a great look back at uh, at what what happened last year with the election. Um, you know, it's hard to, to to stomach a lot of it, but it's also good to be informed and know that we're not going to make that same mistake again as long as we uh, pay attention, you know, to what's going on out there. So uh, check that out. Uh, Also, you can go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. Inflation and your retirement, are you prepared for rising cost? We know all the things that we're dealing with with inflation, the higher cost for food and energy and clothing and electronics and vehicles and rent all that. So whenever we do financial plans and retirement plans, we always take inflation into consideration. Now it's a great time, you know, because it's, it's such a, uh, it's talked about so much because it's hurting and impacting so many people. So if you go to murrayfinancialgroup.com right there on the homepage, uh, you click on the button, it's an instant complimentary download to your uh, email. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, That does it for us. And we'll uh, talk with you on the Morning News Express Monday through Friday, 550, 650, 750. Uh, Those are live conversations with uh, my friends uh, Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. And uh, then we'll uh, talk to you on the next year financial editor program right back here. So have a great rest of the weekend. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com as a podcast at Apple Podcast. And also, don't forget, you can download the free WFMD uh, app. uh, So that way you have all of the programming, local sports, business, nationally syndicated, uh, you name it, right literally at the tip of your fingers on your smartphone or uh, or device. Um, joining me this morning, my guest, Mr. Fred Lucas. He's a White House correspondent, also chief national affairs correspondent for The Daily Signal. He's also the host of the Right Side of History podcast. And uh, Fred wrote a really good piece earlier this week uh, titled Biden Taps Fossil Fuel Industry Critic for Federal Reserve Post. This is all obviously very important stuff, and we want to make sure that you understand um, kind of what's being proposed and the potential impact that it could have uh, down the road. Good morning, Fred. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on. Sure, glad to have you. I'm glad that you uh, were able to take some time to talk to us. So let's start with uh, kind of the basics for everybody. Um, at the Federal Reserve, this potential post is what 
and uh, you know how important what does it entail um, and, and what type of impact on the Fed could a person have? Okay, uh, yeah, this this nominee uh, Biden put up is uh, Sarah Bloom Raskin. Now, if you recognize her last name Raskin, that's uh, she is the spouse of uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Uh, so, so there is some Democratic politics at play here. But, uh, but, but to be fair, she has held some some high-ranking positions within the Treasury Department and within the Maryland state government. So, so I'm not, uh, not saying she's not credentialed for this, but uh, she's been nominated to the uh, Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Uh, that's the, as the title implies, the, the governing board for the entire National Federal Reserve that sets monetary policy. Uh, now, what she has said uh, multiple times in the past uh, in a New York Times op-ed and speeches and so forth, is that the Federal Reserve, which she was not a member of, but she, she believes that the Federal Reserve should uh, advocate and has a, quote, powerful role uh, to play in discouraging investment in oil, gas, and coal companies. Uh, she's very much against fossil fuels. Uh, she is, like, tried to uh, push a green agenda, and um, we, we've seen a little bit of that uh, with Biden appointees in, um, in in things like the, the Treasury Department and and the Federal Reserve um, and, and and some other areas on, on the financial sector, uh, or at, uh, actually the Securities and Exchange Commission. So so now now we're seeing it at the Federal Reserve uh, at the highest level. Um, so so this is. I, I actually sort, sort of alarming and, and sort of ties in maybe a little bit with the whole ESG movement. Which, again, ESG, you can let people know uh, what that is exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, acronyms are the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, environment and social and governance. That's the movement uh, among the left that's trying to push investors to uh, only uh, invest in environmentally what they consider environmentally friendly companies that have a that stand for social justice and with governance that uh, governance mean board members CEOs who are uh, socially conscious about what what usually typically what what the left considers important yeah so um, like you were mentioning she's uh, she's got some uh, or she's had exposure uh, in politics. She was uh, the uh, uh, deputy secretary of the Treasury De- Treasury Department under uh, or during the Obama administration. Um, she worked in uh, Maryland. She was the state commissioner of financial regulation um, under O'Malley. Uh, and then you mentioned her husband's a congressman um, in uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland. So um, we kind of when we were talking about this uh, position at the Federal Reserve, uh, kind of thinking about that green agenda. And, and again, she's very open about this. She's written about it, spoken about it. Um, how would uh, her position at the Federal Reserve uh, what type of uh, sway would they have with uh, these banks as far as what to do and what not to do? Well, uh, there, there's a certain uh, level of um, they said not your policy first and foremost, but there's a certain level of regulatory pressure 
uh, that they can put on banks. And and this is what she has uh, uh, really advocated for doing. She said, as, as a private citizen, uh, primarily, she uh, wrote this op-ed saying that the Federal Reserve should put uh, government pressure uh, or bring, bring federal pressure to bear on banks in terms of doing business with these uh, fossil fuel companies. Uh, so, so, so this is something that uh, uh, she she thinks that the you know that the federal government or the federal reserve, I should say, should have this activist role in trying to um, uh, you know put put fossil fuel companies in sort of a precarious position. Yeah, definitely. And and like you said, we've seen this. We see it with uh, Janet Yellen and her um, comments. They're very obvious as a Treasury uh, secretary. And, uh, of course, the current uh, Department of Energy secretary, who's under some scrutiny herself, um, has made those comments as well. Um, and if all of a sudden we have the Federal Reserve, which is supposed to be independent, unbiased as far as what they do and what they suggest and, and what they support uh, politically. I mean, they have two jobs at the Federal Reserve. One is maximize employment. Two is price stability um, as far as inflation. And we've seen they've already uh, missed that pitch, uh, you know, as far as inflation and they're playing catch up. Um, it doesn't seem like they really need to be taking time to uh, to kind of behave in this activist role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they're uh, trying to become the green police <laughs> in some way. Is uh, not. Uh, th- yeah, that that doesn't really seem like it's going to be. Uh, if they can't handle their what's on their plate already in terms of basic inflation, and and I, I think we're not going to get positive results from that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, this, this is something that it's not really a surprise. I don't think it has been building, uh, Senator Pat Toomey, uh, who's the ranking member on the Senate banking committee that, that's going to have oversight on this. is going to have a lot of questions about this at the confirmation hearing. And as I, as I think a lot of, uh, Republicans, uh, on that committee will, uh, so, so it will be interesting hearing to watch out, uh, Biden, Nominated two other um, uh, folks for, for the uh, Federal Reserve governing board uh, that are generally not all that controversial, but uh, but uh, Raskin Raskin definitely steps uh, stands out. I mean, she has like not been, you know, she's transparent about her views. So, uh, um, I mean, you, you can't say she's been hiding her views or anything like that. Uh, I, I I guess. It could be a situation where maybe she didn't anticipate she might be in a position to have to defend those views, because uh, we've seen a lot of that in, in the Biden administration with their nominees for the Justice Department, and they've had to sort of walk back or explain what they really meant when they wrote or said something in the past. But uh, um, in this case, we, we do have uh, – she's definitely a Washington insider um, – married to the congressman who led the second Trump impeachment and is is very much a um, has a has a recent book out uh, has gotten a lot of uh, laudatory media coverage uh, for his agenda in the past so, so this is kind of a Washington power couple 
And I think it's kind of a, a Washington insider story as well. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. We're going to squeeze in a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with my guest, Mr. Fred Lucas, the White House correspondent and chief national affairs correspondent for the Daily Signal. He's also the co-host of the Right Side of History podcast, and we'll let you know um, how to uh, find that and listen to it as well. Stay tuned. President's Day sale in soon. Through Monday, you can save up. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts, you can find it there. Uh, Wrapping up our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Fred Lucas. He's a White House correspondent and chief national affairs correspondent for The Daily Signal. He's also the co-host of the Right Side of History podcast. And uh, he's written a really good piece uh, that you can find at The Daily Signal. Um, It's titled uh, Biden Taps Fossil Fuel Industry Critic for Federal Reserve Post. Um, So, um, Fred, you know, in, in... you know, we were talking right before the break about your uh, your podcast. Uh, how do people find that podcast? Oh, uh, it's on um, Apple iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, yeah, mo- most platforms uh, uh, that are out there that you can f- find out right side of history. Uh, also, I recommend folks listen to the Daily Signal podcast. Well, yeah, absolutely. We uh, we have you, uh, or I should say, a lot of your colleagues on um, uh, that write uh, pieces at Daily Signal, and of course, um, uh, do work at the uh, Heritage Foundation. So, um, definitely encourage people to sign up for uh, the Daily Signal Daily Newsletter. Uh, it's free, and there's a ton of good information. So we see this uh, obviously this push with. Um, you know, the, the whole climate thing that uh, that people were talking about. Um, and this uh, lady, Miss Haskins, uh, Raskin, excuse me, you know, is part of that. Um, you know, what do you what type of pushback do you think we're going to get? Uh, what kind of pushback for, for this nomination? Yeah, for her nomination and confirmation, potentially. Well, I, I think we're going to get a lot of uh, questions from Republican members of the Senate committee on this. But, um, uh, but I, I also think uh, I also think we we might get some um, pushback from uh, from the financial industry that, that's going to look at this, and and from from the oil and gas industry that's going to look at this and see the problems here because uh, if you do thrust the reserve into this activist uh you know green agenda role then it's going to be i i, I think almost anybody can see the the how that's going to be uh a red light there so so from, from that perspective i i do think uh yeah yeah you, you will see some pushback some opposition to this 
I don't know if it's going to be enough to necessarily defeat it. I think uh, it might be a matter where she is. Her nomination is uh, probably the the, um, the the membership on the committee is tied. Uh, so so it might be a party line vote, and we might see someone like uh, Kamala Harris step into catch the tie breaking vote. One thing to consider here, though, uh, Joe Manchin is from, you know, obviously West Virginia, I, a huge uh, fossil fuel state with coal there. Uh, he might vote against this nominee. Yeah, great. I'm glad you brought that up. Earlier in the program, I was letting everybody know about West Virginia State Treasurer Raleigh Moore this week announced that mm-hmm. the state would end the use of block uh, BlackRock Investment Fund, obviously the largest uh, um, asset management company uh, in the world with about $10 trillion, saying the same thing. You've got, you know, you've got Larry Fink coming out trying to, of course, this is just me, uh, trying to get in the group, if you will, and, you know, make sure that everybody sees and hears what he has to say about certain investments. So I thought it was great when the West Virginia State Treasurer said, we're taking our money, because that's the only thing they understand. Um, and I and I, I think that you're right there, that potentially Joe Manchin could follow suit and say, you're not going to hurt, you know, our industry and our jobs in the state of West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. And and, and then it's something that um, I, I think at a minimum, he's going to have a lot of questions. Uh, the bottom line is when, when you look at Joe Manchin, for the most part, he sticks with the party. I mean, there's been some high-profile cases, obviously, here with the filibuster, with Build Back Better, where he didn't. I, I think he uh, he did block one nominee of Biden early on in the process. Uh, an OMB nominee, if I remember correctly. But um, as a as a general matter, he he sticks with the party on the big things. Uh, so, so so we'll see. I mean, I I don't think he's that reliable always necessarily reliable. Uh, I do think he votes with his state above all else, but I think he, he might. I, I don't think anybody should put their eggs in the Joe Manchin basket if they want to defeat this nomination, just simply because I think he might have might feel like he's used up a lot of capital with his uh, breaking with the party on some big issues. Like yeah, I, filibuster and the Build Back Better. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a good point as well. Um, joining me this morning, our guest has been Mr. Fred Lucas. He's a White House correspondent, also chief national affairs correspondent for the Daily Signal. You can catch his uh, podcast titled The Right Side of History at Apple Podcasts and the other platforms. And uh, he also wrote a book called Abuse of Power Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump. Uh, So you can find that, too. Again, his name is Fred Lucas, L-U-C-A-S. And, Fred, I appreciate you. I know you guys are busy there. I appreciate you taking time to to join us and talk about this uh, upcoming nomination. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, great. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. And uh, that uh, uh, it's really interesting, the article. Again, if you do the Daily Signal, uh, you get their uh, free daily emails with a bunch of good articles that have been written by those guys. And uh, this one is about the Federal Reserve and, again, these activists who, um, I, you know, I, I'm so sick of the climate change thing. It's just uh, weather issues, really. 
Um, the climate has always changed and it will always change. Uh, this is a grab for the most part for money and power and control. Uh, we've been saying it for years. Um, still not sure why they won't have a nice open debate with fair people on each side and an honest moderator um, not swaying the conversation one way or the other like we see in uh, various political debates. Um, actually, I am sure why, because they would lose. They always have in the past. They get waxed. Um, so they don't want that out there. They want to use these activist people. Um, and it's, uh, like I said, it's more about power, um, money, control. Um, that's exactly what we're seeing in these spending bills. So thank the good Lord that that uh, Build Back Better wasn't passed. I wish some of the others hadn't been passed either, including the infrastructure bill, which really isn't about infrastructure. Um, we sure could have used that money for roads, bridges, uh, sewers, uh, water, hydro, dams, you know, you name it. But instead, most of it uh, is going to be wasted, probably over 80 percent of it on other pet projects. Uh, but anyway, check out the Daily Signal. There are great articles. I love reading them every day. Um, and uh, we bring some of them to you here if we uh, if we can like we just did with Fred Lucas. And uh, that does it for, for us today. Uh, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, get the latest white paper, inflation and your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? Uh, that's a complimentary download. Just go to the homepage at murrayfinancialgroup.com and click the button, and it goes right to your um, right to your email. And I'll talk with you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. Uh, we talk live at 550, 650, every weekday morning. Uh, get a nice business update there. And then I will see you back here uh, next weekend for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. I'm through with standing in line, the clubs I'll never get in. It's like the bottom of the ninth, and I'm never gonna win this. Life hasn't turned out quite the way I want it to be. Tell me what you want. I want a brand new house on an episode of Cribs, and a bathroom I can play baseball in, and a king size tub big enough for 10 plus me. Yeah, what you need. Past 